<laughs> oh, turn it up. Here we go. Up here with your crew, winning all some view. Everything you love stacked right in front of you. Got your icon pass, powder slash it. 50 plus destinations. Speaking of, did you get your icon pass yet, Sean? I'm on iconpass.com dropping in right now. Wow. From just $2.59 adult, everyone knows you get the best price in the spring. Yeah, that's the good stuff. Okay, done. So pass the good stuff. Yeah, it's the good stuff. So someone calls you unsolicited offering you a product that they know you cannot live without. Or maybe it's a charity calling you and asking you to give generously. How much information do you need from the caller to prove or provide confirmation to you that what they've been telling you is actually true? I mean, just this week I received multiple phone calls about a great deal on medical grade back and knee braces. And I thought to myself, I'm much too young to need medical grade back or knee braces. And so I told that to the woman on the phone and she said, well, Dr. Reverend Goodman. And then I knew it was a wrong number. What does it take for you to believe someone? What are the prerequisites the checklist that you need completed, at least in your mind, before you'll believe someone. Every day, every single day. This morning, we put our faith in things we have yet to receive signs confirming. How many? How many of us have ever verified Arlington County's water treatment facility? or even the techniques that they use at that treatment facility. Yet we still trust and have faith that the water coming into our kitchen sink and out of the shower head is safe to use. I've never seen a water quality report in Arlington County, and every single morning I gargle, rinse, bathe, and then later I will cook with water that I believe is safe. How many of us who travel believe that the airplanes or the trains we are boarding are safe. It must be quite a few of us because we continue to book business and vacation trips. Just this week, I boarded a train bound for New York City and then last night boarded another one back to Union Station. I did not verify any of the safety inspections done on the tracks. I didn't ask to see the, the engineer's credentials. The only signs we have to put our faith in our modes of transportation is that the plane landing before hours taking off or the train arriving before hours departs did so safely. We believe certain things in this life, things that we have not verified on our own because for one reason or another, we have placed our faith in other people to confirm part or the whole of what we believe. We use other people as signs to confirm that which we have been told and have not confirmed on our own. Our scripture reading this morning places us in the middle of the resurrection. Jesus, after he was arrested, tried, tortured, and killed, has now overcome the grave and is revealing exactly what happened to the ones who had been following him throughout his ministry. 
having seen what they have seen. Christ's arrest, his trial, torture, and then death. It's no wonder that the disciples were hidden behind a locked door in a nondescript building. The disciples saw what happened to Jesus. They saw the nails. They heard his cries. They heard the whip cutting through his skin and the rod cracking against his head. Would they be next? Would they face a similar fate for their association? Would they see nails in their own hands? Would their cries echo throughout Jerusalem? Would a whip cut through their skin or a rod crack against their head? Remember, they had been traveling alongside this troublemaking rabbi for three years. They were all in on what Jesus was preaching and doing. They were the ones who knew Christ's ministry of grace and mercy better than anyone else. So they huddled behind a closed door. Minus Judas and Thomas. They huddled and they waited, not sure of what was going to happen next. Thomas finally arrives to be with his friends. The gospel writer doesn't tell us where he was or what he was doing. But the disciples told Thomas exactly what happened. Thomas, it happened. He did it. He said he would. What happened? Who did what? Jesus is alive. We saw him. He came to us. He knew exactly where we would be tonight. He walked right through that door, the same doorway you came through. Wait, he came through the door? You mean he came through the doorway? No, Thomas, just listen to us. Jesus walked through the door. He showed us the wounds in his side. He showed us the holes in his hands. And then he breathed the Holy Spirit upon us. He said he would send us out. We are now going to continue the work that he began. And I, I have to imagine in my mind, though, that the excitement that the disciples would have been speaking with would have kind of thrown Thomas for a loop. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas, did you hear anything that we just said to you? Jesus is back just like he promised he would be. Why are you not listening? We like to imagine Thomas standing on one side of the room perhaps closest to the door where the amazing sign took place and the rest of the disciples across from him. Thomas has his arms crossed on his side of the room, closing himself off to what the, the believers, the true believers, we think, on the other side of the room are telling him. He's doubting Thomas, after all. He's the one who said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hands in his side, I will not believe. Those are Thomas's words. That's not me. For centuries, Thomas has been portrayed in this moment as a doubter. If I were to ask you, or you were to ask some random person on the street, 
what they know or what you know about Thomas the disciple, more often than not, you'll hear back Thomas. Yeah, he's the one who doubted. For centuries, preachers have used Doubting Thomas as a sermon illustration to convince their congregations, to convince people like you not to doubt the resurrection, but instead to have faith in the promise of the resurrection. Around the world this morning, kids will be told that they just need to have faith during Sunday school or during children's messages as they learn about this story. Doubting Thomas, the one who needed to see and to touch the Messiah. Doubting Thomas, the one who did not believe. Thomas's request to see the marks in the side of Jesus, to touch the marks in Christ's hands, have marked him for centuries. Yet Thomas was only doing what he was accustomed to doing, along with the other disciples. Receiving signs confirming Christ's Messiahship and connectedness to God, the one who had sent Christ in the first place. For three years, Thomas had heard Jesus talk about the promised resurrection. For three years, Thomas had seen Christ's ministry pointing away from the shadow of the cross and towards the glory of the empty tomb. Thomas, for three years, had witnessed the many signs confirming precisely who Jesus was. Thomas was at the wedding in Cana when Christ turned water into wine. Thomas witnessed the healing of the royal official's son and the healing of a man who had laid ill for 38 years by a healing pool at the Sheep Gate on the Sabbath. Thomas was present when Christ fed over 5,000 people after him, along with his disciples, said it could not be done. Thomas was in the boat when Jesus walked from shore and met his friends out on the water. Thomas had witnessed firsthand the work Jesus had been engaged in, and the gospel writer tells us early on, back in chapter 2 of John's gospel, that Thomas, along with the other disciples, believed. Thomas believed enough to give up his life and follow Jesus, an itinerant rabbi, for three years. And at every turn, the signs were being performed to provide confirmation of who Jesus was to the disciples and to the rest of the world. Every day for three years, Thomas was alongside the other disciples and Jesus, witnessing Christ's ministry and hearing Jesus' teachings all of which pointed to and revealed Christ's own glory. And so now, a week after the resurrection, Thomas needs another sign. A week removed from the resurrection, doubting Thomas, we read, will come to believe. Thanks to preachers and fresco artists, Thomas has carried a bad reputation for over 2,000 years because of people like me using the doubter to convince you not to doubt, but to just have faith. Thomas is known for something not entirely accurate to who he was or what he was doing in his moment of infamy. Doubting Thomas was simply asking for something that he had been accustomed to receiving. Because the crucifixion itself was a sign Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. A sign confirming Christ's resurrection was and 
is not an unreasonable request for someone who had been receiving confirmation of what he was being taught for the past three years. The signs performed by Jesus, wine at a wedding, that one's my favorite, healings, beatings, walking on water, those were confirmation of what Thomas, along with the other disciples, had been taught about Christ. So Jesus offers Thomas exactly what he needed, exactly what Jesus had been doing for the past three years, a sign confirming what Thomas already believed. Jesus is Lord. After Thomas received the sign he said he needed, he added a confession connecting Christ's humanness to the divinity of God, my Lord and my God. We focus so much on doubting Thomas's perceived lack of faith that we miss this confession that he makes, a confession that the other disciples, the good disciples, the believing disciples, they neglected to make it when Jesus walked through the door, my Lord and my God. In the midst of doubt or simply needing something that was customary for the group, the peace of the Lord our God was still extended, making this a story more about Christ's faithfulness and less about doubting Thomas's perceived lack of faith. April Yamasaki wrote in the Christian Century this month, peace to those who doubt, peace to those who have seen and believed, peace to those who have seen and yet come to believe, who have not seen and yet still come to believe. The peace of Christ is the promise of the risen Messiah to all of us, to everyone. Faith that comes from the peace of Christ is not something that we do, and it's not something that we attain on our own. We see throughout Christ's ministry, in his death, and now in the aftermath of the resurrection, in the light of the empty tomb, faithfulness in places where our own faithfulness falls short, regardless of our demands for signs to subside our doubts, the faithfulness of Christ provides us with the peace that we need. We are not saved by faith, well, at least our own faith. We have been saved by the faithfulness of Christ on our behalf when we ourselves are not faithful. In the gospel, we've been given everything we need to confess Jesus as our Lord and our God. Like Thomas, we confess Christ as Lord. And we still don't have all the answers to our questions or even our doubts. I find doubt an odd place to end the gospel. The writer adds at the end, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Every time I read that, I think, well, the other signs would have been really helpful, especially for us 2,000 years later who are trying to figure this out. It would have at least maybe given us a little bit more confirmation on what happened. I believe, though, that those signs were, admitted, were omitted because it's through the faithfulness of Christ that we have faith. 
and then we serve as a sign pointing to the light of the empty tomb instead of being overcome by the shadow of the cross. Thanks be to God. Amen.